Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the fall. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le match troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs, John. You found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Matt O'Hayan with you on this Friday evening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, just to let you know, uh, because you know there is today is a pretty big sports news day uh, when it comes to the world of sports, not necessarily the Montreal Canadiens. Um, I do have to let you know that today's episode is pre-recorded because we would have a live reaction to any if at all, uh, Shohei Otani news. Obviously, for our baseball fans, yeah, you know who that is. For those who are not, he is basically, uh, if you can imagine, a hockey player that can score 50 goals and then the next game go in net uh, seamlessly and uh, he could post a 925 save percentage because uh, he uh, basically hits home runs and is an ace on the mound uh, free agent expected to sign uh, lot, well not expected but a lot of rumors that he's going to be signing in Toronto uh, any minute now apparently there's a press conference at 6 p.m eastern it's now 504 eastern at the time of this recording so uh, just to let you know cards on the table uh, because we would live react to that um, that this is pre-recorded so there you go it's uh, it's on me it's to uh, it's to accommodate my schedule. That's why we're doing it that way. Anyways, let's get down to business. Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. They've been named uh, recently named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies, the country's leading business award recognizing innovative and world class companies. The best managed Canadian companies designation fuels Energy's purpose for creating progress for our customers, our employees, and our communities. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunity. We're also brought to you by Playground. Experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables. A bad beat jackpot that's already over $700,000 after the world record setting amount of $2 million. $590,000 was won on August 2nd. Weekly promotions, daily tournaments, and unmatched customer service. Why play anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes away from downtown Montreal Playground. And of course, by La Bita TB Beer, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bita TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bita TB, embrace your true nature. All right. Um, you know... Uh, let's bring in our guest. He's here to break down the week that was for the Montreal Canadiens. Mr. Stu Cowan, how are we doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, you know, before we jump into the Canadiens, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, it's like there was never a D-Day, so to speak, in football for like Tom Brady where he was going to go. I remember in the NBA, it was like LeBron James, the decision. Can you remember one of these in hockey when it came to a free agent? Like, where will this guy go? This is the big, this is sweeping the, the headlines of every hockey headline. That's a, that's a good question. I think my screen's a little dirtier. Let me just wipe this. That's better. Sorry, I should check that before. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I remember this summer there was all the talk about Cole Caulfield, like when he was going to sign, if he was going to sign. Um, that's the most one in recent memory. Um, I'm trying to think, but it's it's interesting you mentioned Otani. 
there is a hockey connection there because with the Blue Jays owned by Rogers, uh, Steve Simmons had a really good column in the Toronto Sun um, talking about how what they're going to pay Otani would be a drop in the bucket compared to what they've been paying for the NHL rights and losing a ton of money on it. It's like $500 million a year they're paying the last two. They have two years left on the contract, which is like a tenth of what it would cost to pay Otani. And then they would have the money they would make uh, advertising for Blue Jay games, the different advertising they get from Japan, et cetera, and whatnot. So there is a bit of a hockey connection to, uh, to the baseball signing. But off the top of my head, I'm trying to think the last free agent that Everybody was really wondering. Uh, like, I want to say, I want to say it was John Tavares. Yeah, that would, yeah, that would probably, yeah. I mean, everybody was wondering if he was going to go to Toronto, and then he originally had said he was going to stay with the Islanders and uh, change his mind. And the Islanders, it's like, trading. even then, even then, it's like not to the, you know, like well, Otani is Otani's the player, player, you know. Otani for us is a, like a once in a lifetime player. It's it's surprising there aren't more baseball players who pitch and hit because mm-hmm. I love baseball as a kid. It was my favorite sport. Like your best player was always your pitcher and he was probably your best hitter and your best fielder he was your best all around athlete. And then it became so specialized that all of a sudden pitchers can only pitch and they can't hit. Well, why? And Otani's, I think we might see more Otani's in the future now because the amount of money you can make, if you can do both, as you said, it's like having a guy who can play one game and score a hat trick for you. And then the next night go on net and get a shutout. It's, it's remarkable, but um, I think we're going to see more guys like that moving forward because, as like I said, the best baseball players, at least when I was a kid playing baseball, they were always your pitcher, and they're usually your best hitter too, and I'm sure that hasn't changed. Yeah, it, it's it's really unbelievable because, like, to explain to someone who's not a sports fan just who Shohei Otani is, like I was telling my girlfriend the other day, I was explaining to her because mm-hmm. I was watching Sports Center and they had the odds of uh, where he's going to end up on the screen. And I, and I said like, cause she knows obviously I'm a Bengals fan. And you know, when Joe Burrow signed this off season, it was a big money contract. And I was talking to her, mm-hmm. I was telling her about it. And she said to me, like, I, I said, he's going to sign the richest contract in sports. She goes, really more than Joe Burrow. I go, yeah, more than yeah. Joe Burrow. Yeah. Uh, he's probably going to sign a con, like maybe not year over year, but he's probably going to sign a contract that's well over five hundred million dollars. Yeah, well, so, well he's basically uh, your best pitcher and your best hitter, right? So imagine what would it cost to sign two of those guys for each contract. Well, that's right? it. So it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be. Uh, I would think at least fifty million dollars a year for however many years uh, that is. But again, from from for the Blue Jays and from the Rogers perspective. Uh, that NHL deal was a nightmare for them. They overpaid big time to get mm-hmm. the NHL rights. They made this ridiculous offer. Uh, so and basically said, take it or leave it. You know, don't go looking for other offers. And it was a ton of money. The NHL took it, but it's going to have an impact also moving forward because the next Canadian NHL contract is not going to be worth anywhere near what Sportsnet paid. I mean, they've sold off regional games to TSN. Uh, I mean, if they could get out of that contract today, they'd do it in a heartbeat. And as I said, they had two more years left of it. So whatever they sign Otani, the first two years will be a little tough carrying the NHL also. But once the NHL is off their books, um, they're going to have a lot of money to play with. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned the, the Rogers rights. Because, like, I remember when when TSN had the rights. Mm-hmm. Um, there was – this is what I vividly remember was there was a hockey game every single night like yeah. on tv you are watching a hockey game it doesn't matter who it was mm-hmm. there would be a hockey game to watch if you there was none of this regional stuff if, yeah if the I, Blackout stuff is, I mean the least the least were playing the other night i can't remember who they were playing and i really wanted to watch the game and it wasn't on here i mean you have to have the nhl right like I, I know it go ahead no, no, there's go something ahead. wrong though with the nhl marketing like i want to watch a game and i can't Type of thing. Yeah. Like, why can't I watch a, a Toronto game? Well, Canadians weren't playing that night. It's not like you're cutting into their market. It's it's bizarre, but that's part of the you know Rogers selling it off. And also, Steve Simmons noted in his column, uh, for those who haven't read it, Toronto Senate's It's really good. He, he said TSN was devastated when they didn't. They lost the NHL rights, but they've made more money by not getting the NHL rights than they would have made if they did get them. And that's going to be factored into the next negotiations with the NHL. For the rights, I mean, I'm sure Rogers, especially if they get Otani, they're going to have, I don't think, any interest in getting back into the NHL, at least not to the level they are now, maybe some regional games. So that's going to, you know, you talk about the NHL and the salary cap going up and uh, hockey-related revenue. Uh, It's going to be really interesting to see how the next Canadian TV contract uh, works out. 
uh, from the financial standpoint and also as far as you know, games being blocked out and games that you want to watch as a hockey fan that you can't watch. Well, that's it. And I think that's the part that uh, most fans are going to care about is the blackout stuff because just, you know, again, like I, the, I should correct myself because I remember the Ottawa Senators, their rights were always owned by, by Rogers. They were mm-hmm. always on Sportsnet East. Yeah. But if uh, what I'm seeing is like, the Leafs game, Leaf games, you could watch 82 Leaf games on mm-hmm. uh, on TSN. You could watch 82 Habs games on TSN, or it was like a big deal whenever that yeah. whenever the TSN broadcasted a Habs game. So gonna be interesting. We'll see uh, how that plays out. It's just this Otani thing is just fascinating to me. I mean. This what is, a letdown it's going to be for Toronto fans if he doesn't sign, though. Whoa, that's just going to be one more thing for, yeah. for people in Montreal to point and laugh at. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you know, Toronto would probably come back and say, at least we got a baseball team. So, well, it, it makes, um, well, yeah, but it makes sense for, for Toronto for the reasons I mentioned financially. And for Otani also, I mean, he's already known in the States, he's played in uh, Anaheim. And, now the Canadian markets and other market uh, sports are becoming worldwide. Nobody does that better than the NBA, right? The NBA is a worldwide yeah. brand now. And this would be another way for Otani to you know, make his mark in another country in North America, uh, a way for the Blue Jays to bring in more advertising revenue from across North America and beyond. Uh, see, Otani is a like, must-see TV. And it's not like, you know, if you have your best pitcher, you see him once every fifth, every five days. You see this guy right. every day. Yeah, no, exactly. One day he's pitching, and the next day he's a DH. I mean, you know, he had that uh, arm surgery, so I don't think he's going to be pitching next season. But he's still going to be playing. He's going to be batting, and and he's uh, you know he hits, he pitches, he steals bases, uh, he does everything. Yeah, and, and it's you know what uh, when you talk about you, like I feel like this term gets thrown around a lot these days. But unicorn, yeah, uh, th- this oh, guy yeah, is yeah, a, yeah, he's a definition. That's like, of a, yeah dictionary.com definition yeah as i said and you're, uh, you're you start off the show it was exactly it a guy who can score goals for you one night in hockey and the next night put on the pads and go on net <laughs> it's crazy yeah that's it it's insane so uh gonna be interesting to see hey who knows by the time this episode airs mm-hmm. uh maybe he'll have found a home in toronto or it looks like the other team uh, that's in the running is the la dodgers unless uh some other team comes in at the 11th mm-hmm. hour anyways uh from one unicorn to the next maybe uh interesting article in the athletic about arbor jack guy and yeah, his return finished. yeah i thought it was a great article um giving us a little bit of an insight into you know his conditioning stint or if it was a conditioning stint what was all what's this all about so uh arbor jack guy and laval um I thought it was a great look into it uh interested to see what your take is on basically him saying we can't know for sure, but what it looks like is that the Canadians told him, hey, put everything to the side and work on the defensive game. Yeah, actually, I spoke with Arpin in the press box before the game last, and I told him what a great piece he had written on it because uh, I wasn't at the game in Laval, and he painted a really good picture of what happened with Arbor. And it seemed, as Arpin wrote, that you know there was a couple of scrums. He was challenged to fight. He wouldn't fight. Uh, he didn't go into the scrums to break them up. Uh, I was talking with Jonathan Kovacevic a couple of weeks ago and I was asking him, do you have any great strength stories about Arbor, like from in the gym or something like that? And he thought it was, it's not really from the gym. He says, but I do love when he goes into a scrum and he grabs one, one guy with one hand and another <laughs> guy with the other hand and he drags them both out. And he said he got, they were talking that he got that from watching uh, Bufflin, Dustin Bufflin videos. Mm. Bufflin used to do that all the time. And he sort of went, that's cool. I'm going to try that. And then he did it. And then he did it a couple more times. And Kovacevic was laughing when he was telling me the story, but there was none of that the first game in Laval. And um, it, it's interesting because I spoke with Kovacevic about it uh, today. Also, I'm actually going to write a story after we finish this. It'll be up on the hockey and But um, it, it, he feels forever because he's down there. And as Kovacevic said, like every guy in the AHL is going to, every tough guy is going to want to fight him because he's, you know, mm. as Kovacevic said in his opinion, he's the toughest guy in the NHL and he probably is. And he's got to, for him to turn, turn away from that. That's not in his nature. But if the Canes are telling him to turn away, and as Arpin wrote, it's like they almost, it wasn't the same Arbor Jack guy that he saw in Laval. Like he didn't fight. He wasn't hitting. He wasn't aggressive. It's like he didn't know what he could and couldn't do. And Arpin was upset that they didn't make him available after the game to speak, whether that was his choice or whether it was a Canadian saying he can't talk um, one way or the other. So we don't really know what's going on with him. 
Um, you know, he was injured. He was away from the team for, for quite a while. They were on that California road trip. So, like, he wasn't even practicing with the team. Mm-hmm. So, when they sent them down, um, you know, they didn't say if it was a conditioning stint or really what it was. Um, but I figured, you know, he hadn't practiced with the team. He hadn't played. They weren't just going to throw him into a game. But as Arpin noted, so there were concerns about his defensive play before they sent them down. There was concerns about some bad penalties he had, t- penalties he had taken. Jaden Struble gets called up and plays really well. Like, how do you send him down? So I think there's a lot of factors involved here. But for Arbor, it's going to be, um, you know, he's got to get his head on straight. And hopefully the Kings are helping him do that as far as exactly what they want him to do down there. I mean, I totally understand if they sent them down there and they told him, you can't fight. We do not want you mm-hmm. to fight. We already know you can fight. We don't want you breaking your hand or that. Yeah. But without that ability, maybe he's hesitant, like, well, what if I run a guy really hard and he wants to fight me or what if I, so I think he's, it's, they've sort of handcuffed them a little bit. It seems, I mean, it seems that way just from what Arpin, what he wrote, what he was telling me last night when I was speaking to him about the way that uh, the Jack guy played in that game. So it's going to be really interesting to see how long he's there. David Savard's going to be coming back. He practiced today. He's not making the trip to Buffalo. So obviously he won't play uh, tomorrow, but he'll be back probably early next week, I would think, or, or, at least, uh, you know, probably before Christmas. So, I mean, somebody else is out. Um, and it, it's, you know, the Kings are going to have a real logjam on defense uh, once everybody's healthy. And even next season, Logan Mayo might be ready to come up. you got uh, Reinbacker. There's going to be a lot of guys fighting for jobs. I mean, Jordan Harris has been hurt. He's out of the lineup now, too. So, Jack Eye going down might also be a message to the other young defensemen, like nobody's safe because Jack Eye brings something to their team that, Apart from Michael Pozzetta, nobody else has, right? The ability to fight. We saw Pozzetta drop the gloves last night at the end of, uh, of the L.A. game. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It really is. It was interesting talking with Cobra Chadwick about it today because also because not only are their teammates, they're also really good friends, like very good friends. Mm. They simply fight each other in the locker room. And, um, you know, as Cobra Chadwick said, he's been in that situation before too. He's been sent down to the AHL, but he didn't have the same NHL experience and he also didn't have the target on his back as a fighter. That, uh, that you know, Arbor's going to have down there. So, as I said, it's an interesting situation. It'll be interesting to see how long they keep him there and if he can bring some of that grit back to his game, which is the main reason he made it to the NHL. Yeah, I, I, I really think you made a great point when you said, uh, you know, the Canadians, de- the, I, I think it's definitely they told him not to fight. I mean, this is, yeah, and even if they didn't, I mean, you got to think, that's a business decision Arbor Jack I has to make. Like that's like in the NFL, uh, you know, you got a, on a trick play, you got a quarterback lined up as wide receiver again. And like, they need to block someone like make the, make the business decision here, you know, like protect yourself. Yeah. He injured a shoulder. He injured one shoulder in his fight last year. I can't remember if it was right or left, but it's the opposite shoulder that he appeared to injure this time. Um, so you don't want him hurting his shoulder again. You don't want him breaking his hand, punching a guy in the helmet. Um, so it's sort of like he's obviously, I mean, he hasn't spoke, but he's obviously disappointed. I mean, nobody's happy when they get sent down to Laval. And it was maybe a little bit unexpected for him too. You know, he came back and he skated at the Bell Center a couple of times with uh, morning skates or, or, and then all of a sudden, okay, you're going to Laval. And um, again, but like be interesting to see how long he's down there. Yeah, I, it's fascinating situation because it's like the article perfectly points out. It's like the Canadians look like a different team when he's on the ice. Like they have a they have a select number of really big bodies on their team. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, it's Josh Anderson, Uri Slavkovsky, Arbor Jacki. I'm not going to include Kirby Doc because he's injured. Yeah, and then you well, know when he's in the lineup, but he's uh, you know. And Pizzetta last night, you know, that, that fight he had, it's sort of like he's the only guy there now who, who's, who's really going to go do that. Gonna do that. And it was one of those sort of, you know, meaningless fights late in the game. But he was a guy who was fighting for his job, literally. I mean, you know, he was a healthy mm-hmm. scratch games before with the old army in the lineup. Uh, uh, didn't like his team losing the way they were and, and, and decided to take it upon himself to, to, to drop the gloves. Um, but Arbor Jack guys... Uh, no knock on Michael Pizzetta, he'd be the first to tell you. He's a better hockey player than than uh, Jack is a better hockey player than Pizzetta, and he plays more ice time. He's more he's out there uh, more often. 
Um, but it looks like, I mean, it could be a case of Jaka falling a little bit down in the depth chart as far as the Canadians are concerned with the defense. I know Marty St. Louis wasn't happy with some of the penalties he took late in games. Um, but as Arpin noted in his column also in the Athletic, I think it was the last five games he played, he didn't have any penalties. So he, he learned from that. Um, so as I said, it's good. And when David Savard comes back and if Jordan Harris is healthy to come back, uh, who else gets sent to Laval? Jaden Struble is making a good case for not to be him. Hmm. Yeah, it's and, and with the culture they want to build, right? I mean, yeah. nobody of you know, you gotta earn your spot. Mm-hmm. You can't really just break that based off of you know what Arbor Jackai has done in his ten short tenure with the Canadians. Like as exciting of a player as he is, it'd be it would send really, I think, the wrong message if they said to Jaden Strew, well, hey, we really like your game, but uh Arbor's healthy now, so uh, go continue marinating. But he's going, what the hell did I do wrong? Yeah. I've been, you know. And Arbor's also I've... an undrafted player. I mean, you can't forget that. He, he you know, came in. There's reasons why he wasn't drafted. Um, Struble's a, a second-round pick. And, and Struble is not – I mean, I saw a video of one of his fights in Laval. He's, he looked was a pretty good scrap. Uh, sure. he, but he, he does have a physical presence. He's, he's a – rock solid guy and but he's very composed and patient with the puck that's what Kovacevic was talking about today when I was speaking with him also uh, makes good short breakout passes uh, very solid defensively for a guy who's got less than 10 games in the NHL he's a good skater uh, there's a lot to like about Jaden Struble and as while it's hard or tough for Arbor Jackye being sent down um, the Kings are in a good spot with so many young defensemen that they're going to have a lot of tough decisions to make uh, moving forward, I mean, David Savard, I imagine, will be traded before the trade deadline in the last season of his contract, be a valuable addition to a, a playoff-bound team. Um, but there's only, you know, there's six spots, seven if you count the extra defensemen uh, sitting in the press box, and they're going to have, you know, eight, nine, ten guys fighting for those spots uh, next season. Yeah, it's going to be uh, – I mean, listen, it's always a good thing to have an embarrassment of riches um, mm-hmm. when it comes to prospects, especially because – you know, eventually when the Canadians do turn a corner and become a competitive team, it, it's going to be uh, – it's it's pretty good when you could turn around and trade a uh, trade a defenseman, a young defenseman to another team for a first-round pick. That team ends up still rebuilding, and then, then you get two – you get another high first-round pick while competing for the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's really – you got to get lucky. You got to get lucky, and uh, I think it was um, – was it? It was Columbus that got lucky with Chicago's first round pick when they traded them Seth Jones. Then mm-hmm. Chicago tanked, and lo and behold, uh, Columbus gets two high first round picks. I mean, Columbus isn't you know the hottest team in the NHL, but yeah. uh, they the got a lot of it's too bad, as you say, an abundance of defensemen. It's too bad they don't have an abundance of forwards who can score. <laughs> That's you know, right. <laughs> been the biggest problem for a long, long time. They just don't have forwards who can score. And Cole Caulfield, who's supposed to score, isn't scoring. And Josh Anderson, who's supposed to score, isn't scoring. Nick Suzuki is supposed to score not to the level of Caulfield, but he's not really scoring a lot. I mean, Sean Monahan's their leading goal scorer with eight goals, 26 games into the season. Um, you know, I looked it up today. Caulfield's got seven goals. There's 103 players in the NHL with more than seven goals. So mm-hmm. it's uh, they, they need – they're, they're lacking on offense and they're lacking on the power play. And, and moving forward, they're going to have to find some forwards who can put the puck in the net. You know what's uh, interesting to me? Well, you know what? We'll jump we'll jump into it um, because we're, we're talking about slumps and whatnot. Uh, is I noticed something. Um, you know, maybe the record is not really anything to – it's not anything to rave about. It's definitely not. Not maybe. But uh, ever since – I think Martin St. Louis, when did he call the team or they played soft? He didn't call the team soft. Yeah, that was after the that was Boston against Boston. Game. Against Boston, yeah. Right. So November 18th, I marked it correctly. Mm-hmm. The Canadians are 4 3 and 1 in since then. Mm-hmm. Since that game, not including then. Um, the three losses, uh, two to LA, uh, or the three regulation yeah. losses, I should say, two to LA, uh, one to Florida. Yeah. Now, really, only because I was kind of hammering them a lot that all oh, these these performances are starting to pop up a little more and more vis-a-vis uh, compared to last year. Um, in that stretch, I, only the first four nothing game against LA. Can you really say like they showed nothing? They showed no compete, nothing. 
Um, so the slumps are the slumps are the slumps. They're still happening, but I, there's more. There's more fight. There's more bite. There's more juice to this team in the past few weeks. Yeah, and, and the LA and both LA games, that LA team, that one three one that they play. Whew. And from us up in the press box, we're eight floors up at the Bell Center. We're high up. So you're looking right down and you can really mm. see how how they work at this one three one. And they just Kenny's had problems getting out of their own end. They couldn't get the puck past their own blue line. And it's interesting because I know on Twitter last night, a lot of people say, Oh, this is horrible, worst thing for hockey. What the Kings are doing, this one three one. It's so boring, it's mm. terrible. Well, the Kings have the best offense in the NHL, and they had 42 shots in the Canadians. They have the number they've scored the the number one offense in the NHL. So it's not boring if you're a Kings mm-hmm. fan. But what they do is they make it so hard for the opposing team to even get out of their own zone, never get, never mind get much time in the offensive zone, uh, sustained time. But they have so much talent that when they do get an opportunity, boom, they take off and they put it in the net. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking with Marty St. Louis today, they're talking about Cole Caulfield. He's always still getting shots. They're not going in. But the Kings, they have, they are so talented. They're so deep down the middle. I mean, Dubois who would have been probably the first line here, right, with the Canadians, mm-hmm. the third liner with the Kings. They just they got so much depth down the middle. They got Doughty on defense. Uh, they're just they're, – they're a really hard team to play against. And the Canadians saw that both times they played them. So you're talking about the Slump. The first game, they totally, totally shut them down in L.A. Yeah. And then last night, as Martin St. Louis was saying uh, today, the first period the Canadians played pretty well. They were still down 2 nothing not taking advantage of their chances, right? They had the power play. They couldn't score. The Kings, yeah. when they get a chance, they, they score. And, uh, you know, the third they went into the third period down 3 nothing, and then the Kings scored again. But watching from up top in the press box, you could just see it was sort of really cool to see how disciplined the Kings are with that 1-3-1 and just how the Canadians couldn't figure it out. And St. Louis said after the game, you know, they made the Canadians made some adjustments in second period. It worked a little bit, but then the Kings adjusted to their adjustments. And continue yeah. to shut them down. So that LA Kings, that's that's a really, really good hockey team. And for people who say they're boring, they're not boring to watch if you're an LA Kings fan because it's uh and it wasn't boring for me watching them last night. It was it was sort of fascinating watching how disciplined they were. And that says a lot about their coach. They get guys to buy into playing that because it's not necessarily the most fun system to play. Um but I guess it's a lot easier to sell when it's working the way it's working for them. Eleven straight road wins to start the season, which is an NHL record. Well, that's it. I remember there was a clip. Uh, you couldn't tell me which season it was. I know it was definitely between uh, Philadelphia and I want to say Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, where Tampa Bay with Guy Boucher as the coach was running mm-hmm. a 1-3-1 yep. trap. And yep. Philadelphia just refused to attack. They just that's right. They didn't come back. Yep. And Gallagher yeah. mentioned something about that too. But we could just sit back. If we get a one nothing lead, we can just stand with the puck behind our net for the next 59 minutes because they're never going to come at us. And well, that's uh, it. And that's, that's it. But I mean, it's the one, three, one until teams figure out how to break it. We'll probably see it you know, to copycat league. So it might see more teams try it, but you can try it. But again, you got to have a coach who can sell the players and convince them mm-hmm. to keep playing it. And it's a lot easier. You know, if you're playing that one, three, one, and you're just hoping to win every game, one, nothing like, you know, when the devils played that trap, they were boring as hell to watch. They had Marty Broder in net, and they would say, we're going to beat you one nothing or 2-1. As I said, the Kings have the best offense in the NHL. They've, you know, they got four, they 42 shots last night, and they scored four goals while playing that 1-3-1 system. So they have offensive players who are willing to be committed to that defensive system, and then when they get the puck, they're gone with it, and they score. Well, I remember, uh, you know, when, you know, the Canadians didn't have – a lot, if any, uh, success with Claude Julien as coach. They made the playoffs one year. but And I remember, I'll never forget this, when, like, Michel Therrien in his heyday with the Canadians, in his second stint, when they were winning division titles, mm-hmm. you know, every second year, but then getting bounced by Ottawa, um, nobody complained about the way the Canadians played. They were playing yeah. boring hockey, but mm-hmm. they were winning. So no one yeah. complained here. And then... The next time around that 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 this happened, I remember when Terrian got fired, and then they hired Claude Julien. I'll never forget hearing Pierre Maguire, a sick podcast uh, contributor, now on on the radio, going, "Canadians fans, you thought your hockey was boring then? You thought defensive systems were boring then? 
just wait. He's even more organized than uh, than mm-hmm. uh, Michel Terrier. And then there was one season. It was the season with um, Radulov. The Canadians made the playoffs mm-hmm. and they couldn't do anything in the playoffs. Yeah. But again, that season, no one really complains. So no one yeah. complains when it's your own team and you're winning games. So it's a difference between playing that system and and scoring two goals a game or like the King. The Kings are averaging three point eight goals a game. I think it is. Uh, mm. they, they score they, they they play amazing defense and they have a lot of offensive talent yeah it's it's again it's you know it's funny when you say it's a copycat league i wonder how many teams will do it because mm-hmm. it, it's it's also a matter see it's funny because you said getting players to buy into playing that system yeah. uh the way i view it is having someone who's disciplined and or having the players the personnel and the coaching staff yeah. disciplined enough to keep it together yeah. because it's like you can watch. I'm sorry. This is the third football reference. I'm sorry to mm-hmm. our fans that I'm making, but I'm sure you've all heard it. Uh, the tush push in Philadelphia, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, the Eagles get to the one yard line. They line up in a rugby scrum. Jalen hurts yeah. gets shoved into the end zone and it works every time in yeah. Philadelphia copycat league every other team tries to do it it doesn't work because they don't have the personnel and they don't know how to do it so it's going to be interesting to see how many teams copy the uh Mm -hmm. copy the la kings but then really buy into copying them yeah yeah and how many teams copy it and can still score a lot of goals and that too uh, that's the other difficult part that's that's the other thing but i mean there was times last night i was at the press box watching you could see Kovacevic or one of the defensemen or Mats would have the puck behind them. They'd look and they'd sort of come back and just that one forward up front sort of just mm-hmm. watching them, not going after them. And they were like, okay, and you'd see guys circling back and circling back and trying to figure. And then they'd come up the ice like that was that move in the Mighty Ducks movie they called it when they all came up to the ice together. Well, the, fly, sort of, the flying V. Flying, <laughs> yeah, it sort, of, it sort of looked like that a bit, trying to figure out a way to get through it. And then, as I said, when they don't get through it and the Kings have control of the puck, they just they take off the other way. Yeah, you know it's it's a it's it's the thing that I always find amazing is that this the one three one has been around forever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. been a thing in hockey. Just give me an offensive minded coach who can break it already. You know, yeah. well, there's the, got to be someone who knows how. One coach told me there's not that many different systems in hockey. There's not that mm-hmm. many. There's variations of them. You know, different variations of it. They're they're very similar types of. Of ones and the one three one is one of those. It's been around. It's not that hard. I don't think it's that hard to coach. I mean, it's when you watch it, it's pretty easy. You know, you have the one guy yeah. up for you. You have three guys sort of lined up near center ice, and then the one defenseman back. Um, but it's how they adjust. Like as Gallagher said, the Canadians made adjustments to break through it, and then the Kings made adjustments to that adjustments to mm. spread out more or tighten up a little bit more. Um, they've mastered it. I mean, the Kings have mastered this one, three, one. It's going to be interesting to see as the season goes on. Uh, and it really works on the road, obviously, right on the road. You're not worried about entertaining fans or whatever. You're just there to pick up the two points. Yeah. Uh, if you can, um, but it's interesting to see if a team can break them down during the regular season, or if a team wants to get to the playoffs and you're playing them, you know, up to seven games in a row. Uh, when you get to that point, it might be easier for coaches and players who are seeing it night after night after night after night uh, to break I me. Mean, the Canes have already, the Canes don't play the Kings again this year. They played them twice, so it's, they don't need to worry right. about it. But um, uh, as I said, something I'm going to watch going through. And also watching Philip Deneau last night, when I asked Gallagher after the game, I said, Deneau seems like the perfect guy for that type of a system. And he said he is because he's so good defensively to start. He's got a really good stick, which is a big part of playing that 1-3-1. And he's got offensive ability when he gets the puck and, and they take off on the offensive uh, offensive side. It's an impressive team that those LA Kings like, and they're big. That's a they're big and like they don't got. I mean, like we said, we've said they have the number one offense, but it's like not just like by committee. Like they've got elite talent littered all over the lineup, and um, my God, and Zay Kopitar still doing it. You know, oh, I was watching Doughty last night. I mean, the guy can still skate. He moves. He's so good on puck battles. He's. uh, uh, one of the goals, he just like I said, he got the puck and he just took off with it, and the Canes almost weren't prepared for it. You know, they were mm. so mindful about okay, how are we going to get through this one three one? And then all of a sudden, Doughty has the puck and he's gone. I was like, oh man, you know, now what do we do? Well, that's it's it's crazy to me, like the longevity of that team. Just when you have a core, 
Uh, you yeah. keep them together because they went through some tough times they in did. LA. They um, did. Doughty's 34 years like old. After, well, that's it. And uh, that means Kopitar must be 37 because he was drafted in the same draft as Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, it's pretty sick, actually, Kopitar. I just checked. Well, there you go. So yep. they have a they have a tight core. They kept it together, and that's what elite talent can do for you uh, in the long term. Uh, maybe and then they got another Byfield, the young kid. Uh, I mean, that goal he scored last night when he blew past Caden Gooley, just like what mm. a power forward move. And for Canadians fans watching Yuri Slavkovsky, sort of hoping that maybe that's the kind of progression. He might make. I mean, uh, you know, Byfield's got eight goals already this season. He had three last season in fifty-three games, and he's twenty-one. He's two years older than uh, than Slavkovsky is, but there's a guy who um, fits well in that system too. And that goal he scored—what a power forward move! I mean, went to the outside, and you could tell Gula just sort of didn't have the right angle on him. He's like, "Oh no!" And then he cut to the net. He sort of caught Montembeau by surprise, also. Um, but they're a good mix of a good mix of talent, uh, size, youth. And commitment to, to that one three one system. Well, that's where I wanted to go next because the Canadian uh, we made or we made I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago reference to another to the first round pick of that draft when talking about Yuri Slavkovsky, which was Alexi Lafreniere, um, and how he's managed to really now find his footing in the NHL, not to the standard of which you've seen past first overall picks but a very I, I think he's proven he's a very uh solid nhl forward this year mm -hmm. at the, at the, and that's uh you know on the low end here's another one in quinton byfield this guy was second overall much yep. more in the frame of uri slavkovsky and again just you know you see this guy he had all the tools uh, to 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 make him to be an elite forward and it just didn't happen for him in the first two years and now in his third year, he's a fine, very fine NHL player. You did mention the goal he scored, but yeah. he's also, uh, you know, on the playing first line, uh, riding the coattails of Adze Kopitar and Adrian Kempe. So, you know, it's it, people need to take a chill pill on the Uri Slavkovsky stuff. And I know people could get frustrated hearing the way that you know, some people talk about him in terms of, you know, oh, we're seeing good things like that could be mm -hmm. frustrating. Mm -hmm. I get that. But, you know, just let's not jump on a 19 year old kid too quickly because the two kids from, you know, a couple of years mm -hmm. past there, they've carved themselves out a nice, some nice roles on their teams. And it's just taking them a little bit more time. That's all it is. Yeah. The friend year is 22. He's got one more goal in Caulfield. He's got eight goals so far this season. Um, mm -hmm. And it's easy to forget how young these kids are. You know, I'm, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago saying that Slavkovsky is not ready to play in the NHL, and he, he really didn't look like it uh, for anybody who's watching him on a regular basis. Uh, he looked lost in the defensive zone. He was losing puck battles on the boards. Uh, he didn't shoot when he should shoot. He looked like he didn't know what to do with the puck. But he's made, like, in my eyes, like pretty remarkable progress the last couple of weeks as far as using his body to his si uh, size to his advantage. Um, being harder on four checks, being harder on puck battles. Uh, I spoke with him the other day about it, and I said, you know, when you were, when you were a kid growing up, did you ever have to use your size? Like, he was, he's a man-child, right? He was he was biggest kid on the ice, and he, he said, not really. Like, he never really had to hit anybody, and he never worried about getting hit because you're just so much bigger than everybody else. And he said the only thing he really did, he used his size just to keep the puck away, and nobody could get the puck off him. And he said, now in the NHL, obviously, it's different. You got guys paid millions of dollars to defend. And he's still, you know, he's, he's adjusting to it. But, you know, he's, he's learned. St. Louis was talking about, you know, getting him to use his body more. And he's really, it's noticeable. Like, you know, he's, he's more of a physical presence. Now, the points aren't coming. He's only got two goals. But you notice him physically more on the ice. He's not falling down as much. He's not losing as many puck battles in the defensive zone. Um, I think it was a really good idea for St. Louis to find, put him on the number one line. Now with Suzuki and Caulfield, uh, I think it'd give him a, a, a little bit of a, of a confidence boost, um, feeling that he maybe, you know, you belong a little bit more and put him on the first power play unit also. And when St. Louis was asked about the decision, like, why now? He had a, his answer was, why not? And I wrote a call. It's a great answer because why not? This team isn't going in the playoffs. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's supposed to be all about growth and development this season. So if you're going to keep him here and you're not going to send him to Laval and you think the best place for him to develop 
is in the NHL playing with Coffey and Suzuki because that's where they were hoping he would be able to play when they drafted him and give him every opportunity to succeed, put him on the first power, power play unit. But you can't just hand stuff to guys either. You can't just be given to him. You've got to earn it. And St. Louis talked the other day about how he has earned it. And I believe he has earned it because they're coaching him and they're working. When you're around Slavkovsky, he's a super nice kid. He's a really fun kid to be around. He's talkative. He's funny. Uh, he's got a little, he's got confidence. He's got a little bit of cockiness in a good way to him. Mm. Um, he's very, but he's also very down to earth. Like he, he, he understands he's struggling. Like, you know, when I asked him about using his body, he said he never really had to use his body up until uh, now getting to the NHL and he's coachable. And we're seeing that now because they're working hard with them. And Marty St. Louis and Adam Nicholas, the director of development, they're, they're doing a lot of work with him. And now we're starting, we didn't really see many, that much progress, right? It was sort of getting, okay, this kid's got to go back to the AHL. Why is he even in the NHL? But now, at least for me, I've seen enough progress over the last couple of weeks to say, okay, now I, now I understand what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Now he is, he's, he is starting to improve. And the last thing you want is a player just fighting just to keep his head above water in the NHL, right? You're not going to get better doing that. You're, you're afraid to make mistakes. You're afraid to play. And as I said, he's been a much more physical presence on both ends of the ice. He's been good at forechecking. Uh, St. Louis talked about that the other day, too. That he's still got to figure out, you know, St. Louis said, when, you, when you're F1, the first forward in the forecheck, it's easy. You, you, as St. Louis said, you're like a dog on a bone. Just go get go after the guy with the puck and yeah. hit him, get the puck off him. But when you're F2 or F3, that's when you got to make judgments. Okay, am I covering this guy? Am I going this way? Who am I covering? Am I taking the body? Am I backing off? So there's a lot of stuff going on. And that's what I've said about Slavkowski, I think, on this podcast earlier, too. To me, the NHL game was just too fast for him. Not that he can't skate fast enough, but it happens too fast and he can't process everything. And now he seems mm-hmm. to be – things seem to be slowing down a little bit for him and he's able to process things more and he's making more of the right decisions. And as St. Louis said also, he's got to move his feet more. If you want to use your body, you got to be moving your feet. And he's doing all of those things. It'll be interesting to see how long like, – Hopefully, for his sake and the Kane's sake, he doesn't take a step backwards. Like this, continue. You know, it might be a little dips here and there, but hopefully, mm-hmm. he can continue on this. And for his sake and for the Canadian's sake, you hope that the, the points will continue. And I know some people have uh, on Twitter and that have criticized, Oh, you're so negative about Slavkovsky. My job's to call it like I see it. <laughs> that when he wasn't doing well, I, I called it like I saw it. And now I'm calling it like I see it. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of progress. I'm seeing why. And it'd be nice for him to be rewarded now if he can, you know, get a couple more goals. Because everybody looks at the stat line, right? He's got two goals and five assists, yeah. which isn't a lot for a guy who was a number one pick overall. But to me, there's signs now that it's coming. And as you mentioned, talking about Lafreniere and those guys, he's only 19 years old. Lafreniere is three years older than Slavkovsky. Um, mm-hmm. So rebuilds aren't easy. Rebuilds take time, and the, not just as a team, but also for a young player like Slavkovsky. So, um, uh, I'm really interested to see, though, in the next few weeks how m- much more progress he can make. Well, me too, because y- y- what I noticed is just – it's one of my favorite things uh, as uh, as a spectator of hockey to watch. And I noticed this – that I or I should say I found this out when uh, I was really watching closely, obviously, the Canadiens' cup run. When watching uh, Yoel Armia in that I love watching a player – where it's just like no matter how hard you try, you cannot you cannot mm-hmm. knock this yep. guy off the puck. Yep. And it's unfortunate because, you know, we saw it in the first game of the season with Kirby Dock, and then he went down with injury. Um, but, like, the guy is, was skating circles in the offensive zone of Toronto and just unable to knock the puck off of him no matter what. Yep. Or if you did, he put it in a spot where he was going to go fetch it after. Yeah, And we're, I find – we're, we're slowly getting there with Slavkovsky. Like he's getting harder and harder to knock off the puck. Like you said, we're not seeing him on his, we're not seeing with him with uh, ice shavings on his, on his yeah. behind anymore. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're really starting to see him move, turn his head, look around for other options and, and just really use uh, his skill set. And we're seeing why again, glimpses very small glimpses we saw it in the first game of the season and now we're starting to see it more and more why he was a first overall pick because he's it's there it's there like you said there is something there it just needs to come out already and it's interesting you say puck position because he Slavkowski spoke with me about that the other day saying a lot of the protecting the puck is where he positions the puck either close to his body or further away from his body uh, uh, to best use his, his size to his advantage 
And uh, now we're just going to see him shoot the puck more because it's still he's mm-hmm. still really hesitant to shoot the puck. It looks like, and so many he's always looking to pass it, uh, especially with Caulfield on the ice. Um, but he's got to shoot it more. But it's sort of you know it's baby steps, even though and like you're talking about the size, like he is an enormous kid. Like he's yeah. like everything is big legs, big. He's just a big, strong kid. But he's a kid, and it's easy to forget he's a kid. And uh, you know, I asked him the other day. I said, "Are you realizing now how strong you really are?" And he laughed and he said, "Yeah, for sure." So I think he's, <laughs> he's realizing it. he never had to be, he never had to prove or show to others or himself that he was the strongest guy on the ice as a kid because he just was. It's like Eric Lindros. Mm-hmm. You know, Eric Lindros was two hundred and ten pounds when he was like sixteen years old. People, guys, just bounced off of him. <laughs> and the same with Slavkovsky, just up, you know playing youth hockey guys just bounced off him and nobody wanted to hit him probably because he was so big and he didn't need, as he said, he didn't need to hit anybody because mm. he could just hold them off with his body. And you can't do that in the NHL. And he's, he's realizing that, that he's got to, um, I think as he realizes how strong he is and can be, that's going to help him even more. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, of course, like lines get broken up all the time uh, mm-hmm. in the NHL. It's not like, uh, you know, demoted to the second line is not like, yeah. uh, you know, demoted to the bench in the NBA or, you know, yeah. demoted to wide receiver three in the NFL. It's yeah. uh, These things happen. It's all fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I love seeing him at the top of the lineup because just, again, it, it goes back to, you know, Martin St. Louis' whole philosophy of just like, don't worry about make mistakes. Just go out there and play. The go out there and play is best suited to him when he's on the first line because he's just played that way his whole life. That's I that's think, just what it comes down to. The other thing, St. Louis, one of his favorite words is touches. He always talks about how important it is to get touches and touches, and the more often you touch the puck. But you're going to touch the puck more when you're on the number one line and when you're yeah. on the number one power play. Especially on the power play, you're going to have the puck on your stick a lot. And that's that's St. Louis talks about that all the time, and this is a great way uh, to get Slavkovsky more touches. And I'm sure St. Louis and Nicholas are also happy because – you know, the practice, you see Adam Nicholas a lot with Slavkovsky looking at videos and working on his shot and working all of it. And he's such a positive energy guy, Adam Nicholas. Like, nobody loves being at the rink more than this guy. And uh, that, I think, is, is can rub off a bit on uh, Slavkovsky, too. That's just that positive attitude all the time when they're working with him. And um, it would, as I said, it'd be nice for Slavkovsky to, to see some more points coming on the board because so many people do look at that. Uh, but on this team with the Canadians, you know, scoring goals has been a problem uh, for everybody, uh, including Cole mm-hmm. Caulfield, as we were mentioning earlier. Um, I don't think anybody thought Sean Monaghan would be the team's leading scorer more than a quarter goal scorer more than a quarter of the way through the season, including Sean Monaghan uh, with only eight goals. Um, but with Slavkovsky, it's, it's I would say it's, it's baby steps, and uh, you know, as we said with Lafreniere and those other young prospects, it takes a little while. There's not not everybody's. There's very few Connor McDavid's, uh, Sidney Crosby's that come into the league and and just light it up right away. Well, that's it. You know, uh, not everyone who gets drafted first overall is a generational talent. I feel I feel like, and, and I feel like in the NHL, uh, fans have gotten spoiled to those pl- types of players. Um, you know, it just feels like. I can't remember the last time it's been like so close to each other. Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard, like yeah, that, that's really close yeah. to each other. So and Bedard, you know, I mean, really, Bedard, look what he's doing. He's on a bad team. He's on a bad hockey team, and he's, he's that's it. Up there. He's and, just an incredible individual talent. And, and then you got and like thrown in the middle of all that, you have Austin Matthews in there. <laughs> you know, there's just it's a ton of talent, and it's just. It's going to come with the territory as as unfair as it is, but it's just not every draft is littered with crazy talent. I mean, I just... No, but we are, like- we are seeing the generational talents come along a little, as you mentioned, a little quicker now, like more of yeah. them. And part of that is so many kids are, you know, the top level kids are playing hockey 12 months a year from the time they're eight years old and... You know, with the stick handling coach and skating coach and this coach and that coach and nutritionist and everything else mm-hmm. are like hockey machines. And uh, that's why the ones who are very good already with add all that onto it. And, and this is the result you end up with. So, but it's just, again, like you always say, they're not all created equal, no. um, but we're seeing some really, really good stuff from your eyes, Slavkovsky. And again, I just, 
for his sake so that, you know, people could get off his back a little bit, just start putting the puck in the net. And the biggest thing is, you know, you know, you said he's, he's got to start shooting the puck more. Just like it's his shot when he was on the power, when they put him on the power play last year, there was one goal he scored. I think it was against uh, St. Louis. It was in St. Louis. And he just like took the puck from like Nick Suzuki spot and just ripped it past the goaltender. And I was like, Oh my God, what, this guy is like a rocket. And that was even a slap shot. That was like a regular wrist shot. And he just fired it past him. So he, I, it I think. It takes him too long to get it off a lot of times. He's still slow, like with the release. Uh, that, you know, that, that'll come hopefully for him within, within time, getting that shot off quicker. Because he as he's realizing, you just don't have that as much time as you think you have in the NHL when you get the puck. You got to be ready. You got to be ready to shoot. It's called coffee this time. So you got to be ready to shoot before you got the puck. Before, you got to be ready to shoot and know where, you, where you're going to shoot before you even get the puck. So last thing uh, we'll talk about before we uh, get you, before we get out of here is uh, he did it. He finally did it. There was no goalie in the net, but, uh, you know, Josh Anderson scored uh, his first goal of the season. What was it like in the room around the team after that happened? Well, right after the goal, I mean, we saw all the players on the ice go over to him, including Samuel Montembeau, who left his crease to go hug him. Mm-hmm. Um, the smile on Anderson's face said basically everything. But then when he went back to the bench, and I was in the press box, I was looking at the TV in the press box, and he almost looked like he was going to cry on the bench. Like, you imagine the emotions he's gone through, like yeah. 24 games without a goal, and that's all everybody's talking about every day, day after day after day. We're asking, why can't you score? Why isn't going in? And then he finally gets it out. Yeah, it was an empty netter, but they all count at the end of the day. And and it was just, I'm sure, just such a relief for him. And then after the game in the locker room, we were waiting and waiting. And we talked with all the other players and waiting and waiting. It was about at least 10 minutes we waited before he finally came out. And he's still, and as you could tell, he was still emotional. Like he might have been composing himself a bit in the room and just taking yeah. a deep breath before he came out uh, in front of the cameras and just, you know, I, I think fans and us in the media sometimes forget that these guys are human beings and they have the same emotions as all of us. And like this must have been eating and just eating and eating and eating at him. I'm sure he wasn't sleeping well. I'm sure it was affecting other parts of his life. And then he had a good story. He said his, he got a text from his grandmother <laughs> who watches all of his games. And she basically told him, she said, it's sort of like a flashlight. Sometimes the batteries run low and you just got to sit back and take recharge them take a break until they recharge mm-hmm. and he says he was sort of able to do that and take some of the pressure off of himself and just sort of recharge himself uh mentally and physically and then got the goal and uh you know we've been saying all along that when he gets one they'll probably come in more bunches he didn't score uh although nobody else scored against LA. yeah well that's and, it so i think he gets a pass on that one. Yeah, going into buffalo if if you know he gets one with the goalie in the net uh you know he's, he's a proven goal scorer uh it's really like what he went through. I mean, it's, it's not like he wasn't getting chances. You know, he's hitting posts. He was having his stick break when he had a, a one-timer in the slot. Uh, he had pucks mm-hmm. bouncing over his stick. Uh, so it was like almost like the hockey guys were playing a cruel joke on him uh, for some reason. But um, I, it, it's, you know, these guys are human beings. and It was impossible not to feel happy for, for him that he finally got one. And just the look on his face, it was just sort of like, wow. Like what a, you know, he said, his quote was something about it, it, it becomes life and death. And then I think it was sort of mm-hmm. he was like life and death in hockey. So no, but as a hockey player, he's like, he says no jobs guaranteed in the NHL. Like you're, you know, he's paid to score. As we were saying, he's making $8 million this year. You're not scoring. There's somebody coming after your job. There's guys like, and he said, you know, you're, 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 if you're fighting for your life, you're fighting for your life in the NHL. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantees that, that your job's going to stay there. Um, just because you're Josh Anderson and you scored 21 goals last year and you have a longer longer term contract, stuff happens. And if you if you if he goes 40 games without a goal, then what happens? You no, know, mm. you still keep him in the lineup. You take him out of the lineup. You send him down. What do you do? So he 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 was well aware of all that, and all of that was just weighing on him. And then when we, uh, you know, that term uh, "monkey on your back" when the when when he finally got it in, you could just almost see it like oh, like just the yeah wow it was like. <laughs> a thousand pounds off his back. It was, I'm sure like I, I said to him, uh, you know, so you go home and sleep well tonight. And he said, oh, yeah, I think so. You know, sort of. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, it was great to see because just like, it was we've also, started, it was also so much. Fans give him such a nice ovation. 
And he spoke mm. about that after the game too. You know, this is a hard place to play. It can be a really hard place to play. Fans are critical. Media is critical. But I think it meant a lot to him that the fans responded the way they did when he did score. Well, you know what? This for for all the crazies because this city is 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 Habs crazy. Mm. Um, for all the crazies, they I find fans here have a very deep appreciation for the game and for what the players do because they know. I feel like to a degree, they know how hard they could be on certain players. That's why, like, you know, it's very rare you'll see on a routine play, on a penalty kill, someone blocks a shot down in Florida. You're not getting a step. No. You're not getting, you're not getting claps for blocking a no. shot, you know, but here it happens. So uh, it, it could be very tough to play here, but hey, uh, that it's a moment like that that I feel like for Josh Anderson, he could say, "Yeah, okay, I remember why I like come, I like coming to the rink every day." Yeah, and the reason fans are you say get, get crazy at times is because they they love this team so much. People like people, this team means so much to so many people. It's there's a passion. I said it's almost like I have sickness in this city. People can't get enough of this hockey team and the players, and you know the same guys. Who will be saying uh, Sarkasi's horrible? Get rid of him. Uh, he's a bum. He's a bust. Then he'll score three goals. Sarkasi's the greatest. We love him. Yeah, he's uh, buying the jersey right now. <laughs> one extreme to the other, and that's you know fans for fanatics, right? And it's people in Montreal are fanatics about the Canadians, but they also show you know there was also a nice round of applause for Brendan Gallagher when they put up on the screen that game that it was a 700th career game. It's amazing Brendan Gallagher's body has survived 700 games in the NHL. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, fans here know their hockey, right? They appreciate, uh, and they also, you know, the other thing with that is they appreciate he, he was working hard. Like he was, it's not like he was dogging oh, yeah. out there and not scoring. He was just really unlucky. He really was unlucky. The puck just wasn't going in for him. And that factors into, I think, the way the fans reacted also. They appreciate the fact that he was still, you know, finishing checks. He was still working hard. He was still, you know, winning puck battles on the power play. Even if he wasn't scoring, he was still doing a lot of good. It wasn't, it wasn't from a lack of effort that he didn't score. And I think one thing that Canadians fans here don't accept or really get upset at is when guys don't try or don't seem to care. That's, that's like, a, that's the inexcusable uh, uh, action by a hockey player with the Canadians. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Cardinal sin. And it's just, you know, when, when we were talking about that, we were talking after that game against Florida where, you know, Anderson was just like, uh, he must, it's like someone, must have put, uh, you know, 200 milligrams in his pregame uh, protein shake, yeah. the way he was just hitting everyone out there, um, of ca 200 milligrams of caffeine, yeah. uh, you know? So it's like we knew it was coming, it, even if it was an empty net. I mean, I, hey, he probably wasn't trying to score there. He's probably just trying to send the puck down the ice. Um, so – and it went in for him. So Well, I was maybe, wondering you – know, you know, we were saying, oh, it's going to come, it's going to come. I had reached a point, he might never score. Like, seriously, <laughs> I was thinking, he might go 82 games without a goal. And he was he was probably starting to think that, too. Like, I might oh, yeah. think we're going to score a goal again. Because I kept, so many times that we go to the game and say, tonight's he's going to score. I sit beside Herb Zerkowski. And then Herb never said anything. I'll give Herb credit for this. That night, he said, mm. he's going to score tonight, and it's going to be an empty netter. And he called it. Oh. <laughs> he called it that name. Oh. Tonight he scores, and it's going to be an empty netter. So when he did, you know, I don't know if you know Herbie. Look, he's told you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, uh, well, I mean, hey, listen, some more good hockey for the Canadians to come up. I mean, if you like defensive hockey, generally games between the Montreal Canadiens and Buffalo Sabres are pretty – 3-1, 2-1 yeah. type of vibe to them. So uh, that's a good that, – I mean, the, ne the, the next game will be a good one against Nashville. I, I yeah. always like I, – I think – I find Nashville a very entertaining team. Mm -hmm. uh, so a rare back-to-back Saturday-Sunday yeah. for the Canadians. Again, where the t it's a Sunday-nighter. Very – again, just very interesting choice of scheduling. Schedule. I also had a Monday nighter. game last – this past week, which is a rare thing also. And this is the second time they've played Saturday-Sunday. And you say yeah, and, but it's game. the that's Sunday funny. night yeah. that's throwing me off. Yeah, well, it's back to back. That's why they wouldn't play the Saturday and Sunday night. But it's true. Like, did I have a? It's. I can't remember last time they had a back to back on a Saturday night and a Sunday night. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, enjoy the hockey, Stu, uh, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Okay. Take care. That was Stu Cowan. I'm Matt O'Han. Again, just uh, to let you know, uh, this was a pre-recorded show. Sorry, 
it's my fault. Uh, thank you to Stu for accommodating my schedule. Thank you for producer Shane for accommodating my schedule. Appreciate both of you. All right, that's it for me. I'm Matt O'Han. We'll catch you next time. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. LaVita.tv. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.